<laughs> Hello, welcome to the Tales from the Shadow podcast, the podcast where the Shadow Girls get together, talk about stories, storytelling and other things that have caught our interest. My name is Emily Collins. I'm Shannon Neenualan. And I'm Georgia Dorley. And snoring very loudly today are the dogs, Mimi, Bunbury and Squire, who got into the podcasting box. Mm-hmm. I keep all my microphones. And yeah, today we're going to be talking about Bridget, goddess, saint. Possibly also fairy, but we'll get to that. <laughs> General badass bitch. Oh yeah. And so for uh, for those of you not of an Irish background, because if you grew up in Ireland, particularly if you went to school, primary school in Ireland, you're kind of hit over the head with a stick about St. Bridget. Uh, mm-hmm. But Bridget, she's the patron saint of Ireland. Patron saint of a lot of things. Um, see if we can get yeah. list them all. So She's actually the patron saint of Kildare, where I grew up. So we got mm-hmm. especially badly hit over the head with it. <laughs> um, every February 1st, which is her saint's day, we were corralled into these little tiny rooms handed paper straws and forced to make St. Bridget's crosses. Yeah. So many. I had like a drawer full when I was a child. Well, you're, you're meant to make one each year and then like gather a collection and like the more you have, the more powerful they will be. Yeah, <laughs> they're supposed to protect your house from fire. Among other things. What if they get set on fire? Ooh. That wouldn't help, especially if you had a big collection. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We got sent out to collect reeds to make them out of the reeds. Oh, so you're oh, making proper extra ones. Extra flammable. Yes. <laughs> uh, but as well as being a saint of Kildare, she's also the saint of Florida. Yeah, for yeah. reasons. No, I'm not quite sure why that is. There's Florida bre- brewing. Yeah, and which, which makes some sense beer. when you hear some of her stories. She liked beer. Beekeeping. Yeah, also makes sense. If you want to make like a nice mead, you need some honey. Mm-hmm. Cows. Mm-hmm. Cows. Anyone who works with cows. Poultry and poultry farmers. Um, is she saying to pigs and pig keepers? Or does she just have a pig? I think she just has a pig. She just has a pig. She's um, also patron saint of children born out of wedlock. Midwifery. Uh, children born to abusive unions, mm-hmm. uh, children who are generally mistreated, and women. All sorts of stuff to do with women. Yeah. Um, blacksmiths as well. And boats. Boats, yeah. Oh, yes. oh. And people on boats and in boats. She's just the patron saint of like all the good things. Yeah. yeah. She's yeah. also um, patron saint of Ireland in general. So we have, yeah. we have three patron saints. We have St. Bridget, St. Patrick and St. Culmkill. Yep. And uh, Patrick was Welsh. Yeah, and Bridget was half Scottish as well. Yeah, and there's a there's a very similar saint who seems to share a lot of the stories in Scotland called Saint Bride, mm-hmm. and Saint Bridget is very much connected to the pagan goddess Bridget. Mm-hmm. A lot of the associations and traditions sort of just got passed on. Same thing in Scotland. Um, mm-hmm. Goddess Bride became Saint Bride. They just sort yeah. of stuck a cross on and everything's grand. <laughs> Good old Christianization. <laughs> yeah, so should we start with the saint or start with the goddess? Let's start with the saint because that's um that's the one that kind of people know a little bit more about okay. and we'll be more familiar with. And don't worry, we will get on to the goddess. Mm-hmm. So Saint Bridget, uh, she's meant to have been kicking around in sort of the 6th century. Uh, She may have been a historical figure. She may have been a bunch of historical figures who got sort of smushed together, as happens. Mm -hmm. And there are loads of records of her life written with various embellishments. Yeah. (laughs) But they all sort of have a few things in common. For instance, she was born the daughter of uh, a minor chieftain, lesser king, and his Christian slave. Yeah. So her mother was a woman called Broca who was Scottish slave. Um, she was a Pict. For anyone who doesn't know what they are, they were a, a tribe that was around in kind of the Bronze Age, Middle Ages. Yeah, Hadrian built a wall against yeah. them. They liked wearing blue. 
Yeah. Into themselves blue. <laughs> and it was said that she was baptised by St. Patrick. Um, in in some of the yeah accounts now, timelines, they don't they, match up. Yeah, but, but there's, <laughs> a lot, there's a lot of stories where St. Patrick and St. Bridget end up showing up together and having a bit of a fight, but... Mm-hmm. Oh, I figured yeah. out who St. Patrick is. He's They're actually all... the doctor. He's a time traveller. That's how <laughs> he does it. Bridget time travelled as well, which we'll get yes, to. Yes, which we will get Any, to. <laughs> uh, she, um, she was the daughter of this... Uh, man and his slave and the man's wife was not too pleased about this so according to the stories made Bridget's mother while she was pregnant do a lot of hard labour like carrying water back and forth in an attempt to get rid of the baby but she ended up giving birth halfway out the door so Bridget was born in a doorway which was seen as a very sort of ominous sign because she was you know Mm -hmm. half in half out half in this world half in the other world and her dad's wife had him sell her to a druid and mother and baby to a druid Mm-hmm. Uh, but the story goes that Bridget, even at her birth, was so pure and Christian that she would not take the food from the druid. And so an otherworld cow showed up. Yeah. A yeah. white cow with red ears. There's a lot of white cows with red ears, actually, if in you Irish see mythology. A, if you see yeah. a white cow with red ears, it's magic. Yeah. And, it, <laughs> and she, she drank the milk of this magic cow and that's what made her grow up. Mm-hmm. But she was so troublesome as a yeah. child. Uh, she, she would basically, anyone who came to the door asking for something, she'd give it to them. Yeah. Uh, she gave away all the butter. <laughs> Not the butter. All the of, gold. All of the butter. But miraculously, when her mother was giving out to her about giving away all the butter, she said, No, look, I prayed and it's back. Mm. I wish I could do that. I know. Yeah. It's a recurring theme in Bridget's stories. Yeah. But anyway, the druid said, Look, I'm I'm not putting up with this this kid. Go back to your father and her father sort of took her in, she was about ten, but she kept doing the same thing. And he had a lot more stuff to give away. Yeah, she gave away his jeweled sword yeah. to a beggar one she, day so the beggar could barter it for food. Yeah, she, her dad had basically gone to the, the King of Leinster to say, well, I don't know what to do with my daughter and left her in the chariot with his sword. <laughs> <laughs> I actually wonder what happened to that beggar because if, you know, you see a beggar carrying a very fancy jeweled sword, it's going to be quite obvious it's not his. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but... Apparently the King of Leinster thought this was hilarious <laughs> and so granted Bridget her freedom. Mm-hmm. And then she uh, she went off and decided she was going to become a nun. Yeah, there's this whole thing about her um, deciding that she wasn't going to get married and she was going to live a religious life. And mm. there's a story about her um, plucking out her own eyes. Yeah, uh, some, some, some fella took a liking to her and she, she made it quite well known that she was not interested in marriage uh, she was going to take a vow of chastity she was a Christian she was going to devote her life to God and about a lot of the people wandering around were thinking this Christianity thing was just a phase so some fella came up to her and said oh those two eyes in your head oh they'll make sure you get a husband whether you want one or not mm. which is not very nice to say to someone oh no if someone said that to me I definitely want to marry yeah, them yeah I mean it's sort of like, like oh you threatened me with rape yeah, yeah that's, nice. a, that's a way to propose oh my god and so what did Bridget do well, it was a spring wedding. No, uh, that's not what she did. She plucked out her own eyes. I was like, well, there you are. And his eyes exploded. Yeah. And then she oh, put her own that. eyes back in with no yeah. damage to or, herself. Or in another version of the story, her two brothers were there and like they were ready to draw their swords on this guy. And she was like, no, look, I got his eyeball trick. <laughs> and they started to freak out because their sister had just pulled out her eyeballs. And she's like, lads, lads. Grand, 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 just take me down to the river. Take me down to the river. Look, I, I can't really see. Guide me. And she splashed some water onto her face and her eyes were back. You'd think by then the brothers would just be a bit like, oh, Bridget, here we go again. Probably. <laughs> probably. And uh, she's very much associated with healing wells and healing in general. Yeah. yeah, there's... I need to 
remember the the name of the Rathbride in County Kildare. There's this huge stone basically and it's kind of debate as to what it actually is but the the story goes that it's across one of four that marked out Bridget's territory in the Curra in Kildare oh, wow. but it's just a, a rock with a hollow in the top now mm. and it fills up with rainwater. Rain. It said if you have a wart and you dip the wart afflicted <laughs> limb into the pool of water St. Bridget will cure the wart. There are so many folk cures for warts. <laughs> yeah. It's like oh god it's you could write an entire book just on wart cures. Mm-hmm. But how she got that territory has a has it has a story every little Irish child knows. Mm. Because Bridget decided she was going to set up a monastery. There were a couple of monasteries already set up, but they were all set up by men and they, they weren't too keen on them being you know, co-ed. Yeah. Back in the day, monasteries in Ireland were a bit like universities. Yeah, it was yeah. where all the learning went. Yeah, um, it's where most of the big fancy books like the Book of Kells were yeah. written. Actually, in Bridget's monastery, there was one, the Book of Kildare Ooh. was written, which was lost in the oh. 16th century. Ooh, well, it might show up again because they, these books do have a tendency to show mm. up in bogs. Yeah, but, uh, according to legend or myth or whatever. hearsay, whatever, um, it was more glorious than the Book of Kells and the yeah. illustrations were... Beautiful. So it's yeah. useful that it's missing because Kiltair can just be like, oh yeah, ours is so much better. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> pretty much. But it, uh, anyway, she needed some land and she had no land, no road frontage. Oh, <laughs> and, no land. And so she, was, she already had a small following. Um, she went to the King of Leinster and said, my lord, I would like you to give me some land to build this monastery. And he didn't want to give her any land, but rather than just say no, he decided to make a bit of a joke of it and say, oh, I'll give you as much land as you can cover with your cloak. And she said, fine. And she took off her cloak, laid it on the ground, and she and the nuns, they each took an end and they started to pull. And they pulled. And they pulled. And the cloak got bigger and bigger. It kept growing and, and growing. Bigger. <laughs> and the king was like, no, stop, stop, you're going to take my kingdom, stop it. And she's like, fine, can I have this land? Yeah, yeah, sure, go away, stop it. <laughs> and that's how she got her land, which is then marked by that stone that cures warts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she, she set up her monastery and like Shannon mm-hmm. said, they, they made beautiful illuminated manuscripts, also a lot of metalwork in her monastery. Yeah. And she actually set up two. She set up one for women and one for men. Yeah. Which, she was an equal opportunist, mm-hmm. unlike monks. <laughs> yeah. It's probably where the, um, her being the patron saint of uh, blacksmiths comes oh, from. Yeah. yeah. Because she, a, the metalwork. Yeah, the metalwork and also, you know, fire mm-hmm. and tying into the goddess, which we'll talk about later. Yeah. But um, she, she didn't live alone in this monastery. I mean, she had she had her friends, mm. and she was famous for beer. Bridget was a great brewer. There's a lot of legends of her uh, turning her bath water into beer. It's like there's a group of visiting dignitaries coming, and the nuns come running. Bridget, Bridget, we haven't got enough beer. We haven't got enough beer. And she's like, Grant, just draw me a bath. Look, Grant, look, Grant. And she steeps in it for a while, and when she gets out, it's beer. And she did this at a leper colony as well, and was forever just bringing out the booze. There's this uh, sort of poem prayer thing that's alleged to have been written by Bridget, which basically it can be summed up as, God, I wish I could go up to heaven and throw a massive party for God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit and all the saints and all the other people up there. And there'd be loads of food and loads of drink and plenty of good cheer. And we just have a grand old time. It sounds like heaven. So she sounds, yeah, she sounds like a bit of fun. That is yeah. one hell of a yeast infection. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, but she, yeah. she, she liked a good time and she seemed quite friendly. Yeah. She sounds yeah. like a good crack. <laughs> yeah. And she had one particular friend. Yeah. Um, she had a friend called uh, Darlugtak, who was is... A, was a fellow nun. 
fellow she's nun. So um, she was her um kind of yeah her favorite pupil, her best friend, and they shared a bed. Which wasn't uncommon because it got cold at night and there was no heating and not much mm-hmm. insulation and it was space saving. Yeah. And, and who doesn't like a cuddle? Yeah. But Darluk Tok and Bridget were so close that when Bridget was on her deathbed, Darluk Tok begged to die at the same time as her and Bridget asked her, no, you need to live exactly a year from now to keep the monastery going, to yeah. keep everything that I've built going and she did and died a year to the day after Bridget did. But there's another story about Darluk Tok that one night as uh, Bridget and her were sleeping in bed and Darluk Tok had fallen in love with a man. Mm. Being a nun this wasn't ideal. Yeah. So and she tried to pray it away and prayed and prayed and prayed and nothing had worked. So she decided to try something a little bit more drastic. She burned her feet with shoes heated on hot coals. And she well, she lined her shoes with embers and put her feet in and burnt them. And I think the quote is to like with with the fire with the the flame yeah. of pain she extinguished the flame of passion or That's something. That's it, yeah. Something like that. But Bridget was pretending to be asleep all through this, but was really awake so she knew what was going on. And then uh she woke up and kind of comforted Darluk Doc and uh, healed her feet for her. Yeah. I don't know, I feel like she should have woken up and maybe stopped her yeah. doing it to begin with. Maybe. Oh, I don't maybe. know. She had to burn out all that passion. Yeah, mm. though I, I think that Bridget was just, she she well, she was celibate, she took a vow of chastity um, and there's no accounts for like ever having a fancy on a man and I think that she was either asexual or just not in, not interested in it much. Yeah. But you, you think that she and Darlou took they were more than friends. Yeah, I, I, I kind of get the feeling from because a lot of the time in old Irish manuscripts, particularly one ones written by um, male monks, mm-hmm. tend to take two two women characters and say they were very good friends and not the marrying type, ah. and really hone like hone in on this and repeat it and repeat it and repeat it. This this happens a lot with Bridget and Darluk Tuck, so um my my theory is that uh, they they were definitely more than friends. Oh. Actually, there's a great euphemism for uh, getting the ride with someone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> getting the ride is an, is another euphemism. Yeah. But it's, um, when a woman offers someone the friendship of her thighs, mm-hmm. which shows up a lot in the Ulster cycle, uh, Maeve uh, has very friendly thighs. It's it's her like. It's One her, of her it's monikers. Her monikers. Yeah. She is Maeve of the Friendly Thighs, but yeah. the the warrior Cuchulain, he he gets the friendship of a number of young women's thighs. Mm-hmm. And possibly <laughs> a number a of young phrase. men. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah the, I think there's there's a lot of scope for looking at um, LGBT characters within Irish mythology. You can, you and can certainly all read in some yeah. subtext, uh, especially all, all of like the warrior stories. Uh, most sort of myths that focus very much on the warrior and the, the yeah. manly manness there's a, there's a faint undercurrent of eroticism there. Yeah, that might make an interesting podcast, actually. That would, yeah, that would. I mean, the Greeks. <laughs> <laughs> ah, getting very, very, very uh, off topic. Um, <laughs> but Bridget, she was, she was a quite a progressive lady for her times. She set up this monastery. She did illuminated manuscripts. And Georgia, you were actually in a short film about her. 
Oh, it was. Yeah, um, it was just before um, the, the we had a referendum here in Ireland last May. Sorry to get. I I, I don't mean to be political. It just happened. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> it's um, it was just about essentially abortion services, and they're they're they were illegal in Ireland, and now they're legal. But anyway, in the run up to it uh, during the campaign, I took part in a film about Saint Bridget, and it was uh, mentioning how you know she was great crack. She was the patron saint of everything from Florida to blacksmithing. Um, and and yeah, obviously they brought up the the story of how there was a woman who, I did did you guys say she she was also a nun or was she, she just she, well she she'd taken a vow of chastity. I read in one account that she yeah. was um she'd been raised as a child in the monastery and so it was just presumed that she was going to become a nun. Oh okay. One of those situations. I see. Um, but unfortunately, that vow didn't really hold up. So she found herself pregnant and she went to St. Bridget and sort of said, I've got a bit of a problem. Um, <laughs> and what was, I think, Emily, you had, did you have the wonderful quote about it? The, the, the way that, so Bridget blessed her and then... Relieved her of the child without it coming out of... Shannon has it for you. Oh, great. <laughs> so Bridget, exercising with the most strength of her ineffable faith, blessed her, caused the fetus to disappear without coming to birth and without pain. Yeah. Mm. So, so, St. Bridget. She cured her of the yes, abortions. Um, from the biographer Cogitosis, which sounds like some sort of toe disease. <laughs> um, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. I am probably not. <laughs> Written in 650 AD. Uh, he was a biographer of Bridget. Mm. Cogitate, cogitate, isn't like cogitating or something. Yeah, to something think, to do with thinking, thinking isn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah. We're, gonna, we're coming to the sort of the end of our brief discussion about Bridget the Saint. But one of the ways she was venerated and is still venerated was the flame. Yeah. So this is actually quite interesting because, the, and this also sort of links together the two, um, is that, so in Kildare, I'm finding my notes. Sorry, guys. <laughs> There's a lot here. <laughs> So apparently um, there was this sacred fire that burned in Kildare uh, reaching back into pre-Christian times. Scholars suggest that priestesses used to gather, pagan priestesses used to gather on the hill of uh, Kildare to, to tend their ritual fires while invoking a goddess named Bridget to protect their hearts, or sorry, their herds, maybe their hearts too, <laughs> and to provide a fruitful harvest. But when St. Bridget built her monastery and church in Kildare, she continued this custom of keeping the, the fire alight. So for her uh, and her nuns, the fire represented the sort of the new light of Christianity, uh, which reached our shores in about the fifth century, apparently. Mm. Um, and apparently, so this, this guy, Gerald of Wales, a Welsh chronicler, uh, visited Kildare in the 12th century and reported that the fire was being tended by the nuns of St. Bridget. I think they're called the, the Bridget, Bridgetine sisters or something these days. And some historians record that, uh, you know, there were a few attempts actually to, made to extinguish it. I'm not sure mm. why the Kildare.ie website didn't, didn't detail. <laughs> uh, I'd say there's many reasons, but it was they, these uh, attempts were made without success. Um, so it survived, I mean, like, possibly up to the, the sort of the suppression of the monasteries that came in the 16th century, I presume because nice. of Henry VIII. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, back in, I think, 1993 or 1994, mm-hmm. in Kildare's Market Square, by the, uh, the the sacred flame was actually relit by this, this uh, woman, Mary Teresa Cullen, uh, who was at the time the leader of the yeah, Brigadine, Brigadine sisters. Um, and it was lit as part of um, this conference that was called Bridget, Prophetess, Earthwoman and Peacemaker um, that was actually celebrating the 10th anniversary of St. Bridget's Peace Cross project, with which was, yeah, sort of, I, I can't remember the name of the charity that runs it, but it was it's, it's sort of a thing that happens on a regular basis on around about St. Bridget's Day in, in Kildare Town, I presume. I don't know much about Kildare. And yeah, apparently um, since then, the Brigadine 
sisters uh, in Kildare have tended the flame in their centre, Solus Frida. And they have a lovely yeah. thing uh, where there's 19 of them who are in charge of the flame and they each take a, a turn to watch over it at night. And then on the 20th day, they say, now, Bridget, it's your turn. Oh. And I don't know what accent mm. I was doing there. Yeah, <laughs> that was not a Kildare accent. <laughs> can, can you say it in a Kildare accent? On horse, on horse. Okay, there's my Kildare accent. <laughs> what was it I was supposed to say? No. Now, Bridget, it's your turn. Now, Bridget, it's your turn. <laughs> I think that was more court. I don't know what accent that's Um, Interesting about Kildare. Um, Kildare is named not after but for St. Bridget and her church. Church of the Oak, isn't it? Yeah, uh, Kildara is the church beside the oak. My house is called Kildara. Yeah. It is. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. And also the, the Kildare GAA football team. There's a Gaelic Athletics mm. Association. They wear white in honour of St. Bridget and their symbol is a St. Bridget's cross. Wearing oh. white to play rugby. Yeah. Rugby well, or ga. Which is, ga. Sorry, sorry. Your, your south side is showing. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. It, it's, a, it's still a sport that involves a lot of mud. <laughs> yeah. Oh God, I'm mortified. <laughs> so I'm going to try to redeem myself. <laughs> Um, by going back to the flame and moving on to the pagan Bridget, uh, Bridget is a is a goddess who was worshipped not just in Ireland but in most of sort of what we would refer to as the Celtic nations. There's a whole debate about what were the Celts. Is Ireland even Celtic? Did the Celts mm-hmm. ever s- settle here? They sort of seem to have influenced mm. us more than been here. For the purposes of this, though, we're going to assume yeah. Ireland, Scotland, Wales, mm. Cornwall, mm. parts of Brittany, parts of Brittany, mm. and um, and part- islands. Islands, in, yeah, bit of England, a bit of Switzerland. They're originally yeah. from Switzerland, yeah. weren't they? Yeah, yeah, the, all, sort of all, all those places. And Basque. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yes. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the, they went a lot of places. Mm. <laughs> but in England, in or the there was a goddess called uh, Bridget, but who was no sorry. Bridget or Britannia, but she ended up being... Yeah. When the Romans came, they had this thing of... They would basically look around and see what the local gods were and try to match them up to their gods. Mm-hmm. So rather than trying to extinguish an existing religion, they just sort of enveloped it. And so they saw Bridget as being, to them, closest to Minerva. So she became Bridget Minerva. And her temple had a sacred flame that was tended by yes. the priestess mm-hmm. and was never extinguished. Because um, Bridget was a, she was goddess of a lot of things. Yeah. In um in Celtic, particularly Irish mythology, most of the gods they're probably in charge of sovereignty, fertility, and or death. That's mm-hmm. like the major the major three things. But Bridget, she had more than just that. She was goddess seen as a triple goddess. Mm-hmm. And there's debate over whether she was three sister goddesses, all called Bridget, mm-hmm. because who has the time to remember names? Or if she was one goddess with sort of three aspects. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a lot of debate around that, whether kind of it's either or both is the way people see it. So yeah. it's that there are three different Bridgets or the three different Bridgets are all part of the one Bridget. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, nice, nice mystical Trinity thing. Yeah. So Bridget the healer, Bridget the smith and Bridget the poet yeah. are three of the versions of yeah. it. But they're, Emily, they're, you had another... Yeah, they're the three yeah. major aspects. I was reading um, a book, which I can't remember who it was by, but it was about Bridget. And they mentioned that in the Ulster cycle, there shows up this other trinity of divine Bridgets who are Bridget the Hospitaller, Bridget the Judge, and Bridget the Cowless. <laughs> 
Which like, is the cowless is wonderful. Cowless? Yeah. Like cowless as in the one who had no cows because Aww. having cows was your, your cows were sort of the currency and also yeah. your social standing because you, you got food from them, you got leather from them, you got meat from them, you got milk. And But she clearly but, gave away all yeah. her cows. Yeah. <laughs> well, people who were cow, there was a, a term for a class of people and it, it, it translated as cowless. I see. So they were the people who were either of a very low social standing so they they, like, they didn't have a cow they didn't have enough land for it mm. or the sort of nomadic warriors like uh, the members of the Fianna Fianna Red Ranch Knights yeah, the, the sort of yeah. the young young lads who haven't come into their inheritance yet and they're sort of they're a bit wild and they're wandering around the beardless place. boys beardless boys I like <laughs> yeah. it yeah so that that separate that other trinity of three Bridget shows up there and again there's a debate whether they are just different versions of like if Bridget the judge is actually Bridget the prophetess if, mm-hmm. and Bridget the smith is actually Bridget the hospitaller mm-hmm. and so on but I see because I in my head call her Bridget of the bright flame because healing poetry and smithing all involve, involve some form of fire in a more or less yeah. metaphorical sense smithing is the most obvious because you, to you run put f- the metal into the fire <laughs> and it and, does it, and it heats up and things happen. And <laughs> I don't know how, how it works, but Can it does. Can you tell none of us are engineers? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that clearly involves fire. Healing will often involve uh, fire to warm the person, to brew potions and things like that. And Disinfect. Yeah. yeah. And then poetry, the flame of poetry. Yeah, like the, the fire of inspiration. Yeah. So yeah. I think of Bridget as being a flame goddess. Mm-hmm. And she was the daughter of the Dagda. Uh, we aren't entirely certain who her mother was. Yeah. Her mother might have been a number of people. The oh. Dagda is a really cool figure, actually. Um, just to give a little bit of background on who he is and what he represents, he's like kind of like an all-father figure, but mm. kind of like Odin or Zeus. But jolly. Yeah. Um, he had a couple of things. He had this big... Cauldron? cauldron that's the word i've seen tub no <laughs> uh, a big cauldron that no matter how many people he needed to feed it would always be full and um, he had this magic club that could like injure or heal people and he had a harp yeah he had he had a harp sounds like that friend he's just got all the gadgets like pretty much yeah. and there's these great stories there's this um this one uh, the porridge one where basically yeah. uh, some fomorians they they try to humiliate him by basically overfeeding him but the, the the big thing is that the Dagda could be king but doesn't want to be king yeah. so he can enjoy life to the full you can't humiliate him because he hasn't taken on that grandioseness so oh. he can enjoy all of the pleasures of life and uh, make a bit of a fool of himself but it doesn't actually affect him uh, got sidetracked ah, Bridget <laughs> um. so Bridget she was daughter of the Dagda quite an important person mm-hmm. a goddess of poetry massively important also yeah. smithing quite important and healing useful <laughs> um so the dagda and bridget were one of the two hadedanan yeah who were um the the shining people yeah they're kind of the the people of light the what will become known as the fairies yeah they were they were known as sort of the intellectual the crafty people mm-hmm. and they were pitted against the fomorian who if you remember when we were talking about lou the big battle mm-hmm. um, i think like giant yeah. sort of pirate people totally not vikings yeah <laughs> definitely not vikings but um bridget's husband was bris and he was half to hudaydan and half Fomorian. and he was known as bris the beautiful yeah oh he he looked very beautiful inside he wasn't quite so beautiful yeah. he was known for being very cruel very cruel very dismissive and um he gave he, bad judgments which was a huge no-no mm-hmm. uh he caused a 
a war basically yeah. um and he enslaved the dagda made yeah. him carry sticks and dig ditches uh, yeah. because the dagda he was a great builder he was said to have like built newgrange yeah. um but Brees was again trying to humiliate him but the reason Brees became king was uh, the Tour de Danon had this belief that carried on into Ireland, time of the kings, that the king needed to be whole and needed to be physically intact because there was this whole thing that, you know, the king was connected to the land. And, he had to be unblemished. Yeah, and if the king had a blemish, had a mark on him, well, that could be passed on to the land, that could affect the harvest. And Nuada, the king of the Tour de Danon, lost his arm in a battle with, battle with the fear bollocks. And the two they done, they defeated the Fearbolics, who were sort of the people who were here before and just getting on with their lives and trying to cultivate mm-hmm. the earth. And then the two Dan came in and said, No, we're running the show now. Fearbolics, decent, hardworking folk. <laughs> the bag men. Well, it's, it's always the story with Ireland though, isn't it? You know, yeah. Oh, back in the day things were simple and then these people arrived and yeah. shook things up. There's and a reason the people. history of Ireland is called the Book of Invasions. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Nuada lost his arm and so they um they, they put Brees uh, in thinking mm. that he was the most Actually, it beautiful was man. Bridget's idea. Oh, was it for Brees to be? Um, was this before or after she married him? After, which is very out of character for the Bridget. Mm. We kind of know she was the one who said, "Look, Nuada, I know he's doing a great job as king. He's wonderful. Everyone likes him, but he does have one hand. So he's got a magic silver arm, but it isn't quite the same. Yeah. So we we need someone else. Oh, do you know who who's who's free, not doing much? Brees, my husband, um, and he's absolutely gorgeous <laughs> yeah it's another one of Shannon's ridiculous theories I think this is partially why Bridget is recast as chaste oh because in it later was her, stories her lust yeah Brees on the throne yeah oh. that like her her marriage yeah. worked against it worked against what the, she the, wanted the, and yeah. what was good yeah. for the country yeah. because um oh. actually I'm gonna tell the story now yeah do about, it. about Bridget how she how her poetry invented keening. Getting into storyteller mode. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> For um, those of you listening and not visiting us through the spiritual plane or whatever, Emily just cracked her knuckles. <laughs> get some storytelling. Yeah. Are you done? <laughs> that was to the dogs. Once there were two people in Ireland, the Tour de Danon and the Fomorian. These had once been one people, but they had been forced from the land. Half of them went across the sea towards the north and they gathered knowledge and skill and intellect. They became the Ture Danon, the Shining Ones. The other half, they went below the sea. They learned how to satisfy their hunger, their need to give in to their true natures. And below the sea, they became the Fomorian, the Chaotic Ones. And these two people, they arrived back in Ireland and there was conflict over who would rule. But for a brief time, there was peace. Peace when a Fomorian prince married a Ture Danon princess. When Brees the Beautiful and daughter of the Dagda, Bridget of the Bright Flame, came together, their union brought forth a child, Ruadon. And this should have ended any feud between the two, but alas, when Brees was crowned king, he was a cruel king. He was weak. He gave ill judgments and he let his people, the Fomorian, plunder the land, go on raids where they took two-thirds of everything, two-thirds of the crops, two-thirds of the wealth, two-thirds of the people into slavery. And at last, the Ture Danon, they could no longer suffer this humiliation, so they rose up against Brees and overthrew him. And the two people, who had once been one, assembled for a war. Bridget, 
daughter of the Dagda, she sided with her father's people. And Brees the Beautiful, he went with his people. The Tuare Danan, they gathered under Lu, the Shining One, Lu of the Many Crafts. The Fomorian under Balor of the Baleful Eye. But between these two people was Ruadon. Ruadon, a child of both. Ruadon, who was welcomed by both camps. And so his father's people began to whisper in his ear. He could use this. He could be great. He could be their hero if he would become their spy. How was it that the warriors of the Tuare Danan were carried off the battlefield on the point of death, but were then back the next day, whole and healed? And so Ruodon went to the people of his mother, walked among their camps, and saw how Lu the Shining One had got Diem Kecht, the great healer, to take the Dagda's cauldron and fill it with water from the healing wells. And a warrior dipped into that water, be he on the point of death, would be healed. Rodon brought this information back to his father's people, the Fomorian, and they began to build their own healing wells. But they had another question for him. The weapons of the Tuare Danan. How was it that they were always sharp, always bright, their spears never blunted, and their shields, though they were battered day and day, never cracked? And so Brice went to find out the secret of their smiths. He went to his mother and said that it was only right that he, as her son, as the grandson of the Dagda, should be given one of the spears of the Tuare Danan. And so Brice told him to go with Crone of the Many Colours. Go to the home of the smith. A spear would be made from. And in the forge, Rodon watched as magic was woven into the spear, as rivets were cast, as the bronze was manipulated by fire and water. He memorised it and he decided that never again should such a weapon be made for the people of the Tuare Danan. He took the spear in his hand and went to kill the smith, but the smith was too quick for him. Taking the spear from him, he plunged it through Rodon and left him to bleed out in the forge. And that's where he was found by his mother, by Bridget. Bridget held her dying son in her arms, her son who had betrayed her, betrayed her people. But he was still her son. He was still her baby and she began to weep. And as she wept, she wailed, and as she wailed, she keened, and she composed the first great lament, the first keening, a wail that was heard all throughout Ireland, through this world, through the next world, in both the camps of the Fomorian and of the Tuare Danan. And it was not just the loss of her son that Bridget wept for. Bridget wept because when Ruadon died, so did any hope that there could be peace between the people of the Tuare Danan and the people of the Fomorian. It's a sad story. It is. It's beautiful. You know, when you listen to a story and you're like, I got the tingles. Yeah. Yeah. I I love that story. Yeah. Yeah. And she was said to have invented keening, which was this great um, tradition of poetry done by the highest rank of women. Mm-hmm. women poets it's almost like competitive mourning sort of yeah yeah it's like you you need to prove how sad you are and how devastating this loss is so you compose this poetry and you wail and sing and wail and sing it's like crying and singing so, together and it's uh, where you know the tradition of the banshee who wails and cries she comes yeah. from the keening mm-hmm. tradition yeah though she seems a little bit less poetic yeah uh, the yeah. last great sort of keening lament was composed actually by uh daniel o'connell's aunt for O'Leary, who was her husband, who was uh, murdered by the British. And she was a great poetess and also a great... She could compose on the spot. She had the sort of Imbolc oral tradition thing going on. And so she made the great last, or what's seen as the great last traditional lament, the lament for O'Leary. Which is... And it's, it's very moving. It's part sort of like, oh, my love, you're gone. You've left me and our children. But it's also... 
accounting how he was murdered yeah. and this, this fearsome act and how the story goes that he was shot on his horse and knocked off the horse and the horse came back to the house covered in blood and she saw it and got on the horse and the horse took her to where her husband was dying and very, very dramatic, very moving. I need to look up afterwards. I, I mm. can't actually remember her name though. Evelyn Dove Nichonel. Yeah, she's said to have composed the last great lament. Uh, tradition started by Bridget, carried on by the Banshee. Yeah. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah. But Bridget, uh, she's not just associated with um, you know, that that very sad story. There's a couple other. She often shows up as like a sort of a small side character because she's probably you know busy doing things. Yeah. <laughs> um, but she's associated with Imbolc. Yeah, so Imbolc is our winter to spring festival. Mm-hmm. Happens on the 1st of February. Which has now become St. Bridget's Day. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also the eve of Candlemas, which is the Christian festival of light. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, no yeah, is that I. the one where like it's meant to be like after yeah. Christmas, Mary is clean again or something? Yeah. Oh, um, it's a Catholic thing. Oh, yes. Not just a Catholic thing, like uh, going back into like... Um, Judaic and pre-Judaic I, traditions I, about you know uh, you women bring, needed yeah. to you know be in the Christian church. tradition churched but it's called yeah. things basically ritually purified after giving birth right but um. it's also a until that time you're not meant to get out of bed yeah no one is expecting you to go back to work to cook the dinner yeah yeah, yeah that's fair so it um, sort of marks the end of your recovery time but you bring on Candlemas you bring your uh, candles to the church and they're blessed and then for the rest of the year they're supposed to represent the light of the Lord or Je- you know it's a Jesus the, the, thing. stuff yeah um, but yeah Imbolc is um, also a, f- a festival of light it's a yeah. festival of setting fires um, oh who doesn't like setting fires yeah mm-hmm. with uh, Celtic festivals you can't really go wrong with a good bonfire pretty much yeah um, and Imbolc in particular the fire is to represent the coming brightness yeah, because it's, it's going to yeah. start getting bright. It's um, halfway between the winter solstice and the spring equinox, I Yeah, because like yeah. already now we will have started to notice like it was... There's a grand stretch in the evenings. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, it was starting to know It was like getting dark at like four, half four. Now it's, you yeah. know, dusk. Mm-hmm. We have a lovely dusk in Ireland where it's sort of, you can't really tell, is it night yet? <laughs> uh, but it's now starting to get a bit brighter and sort of holds off until maybe five or six. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And on Inbook, there's uh, one of the tombs, not... Not Newgrange, which is the famous Pashid's to Pashid, Pashid. I can't say the word. Passage, passage tomb. The famous passage tomb is Newgrange, but there's a lot of other tombs, and most of them are lined up with some form of festival. And the one that lines up with Imbok is the Mound of the Hostages. Yeah, so the Mound of the Hostages is at the Hill of Tara, which is the traditional seat of the High Kings of Ireland. With um, the Leofal, the Speaking Stone, which may have been nicked. Yeah. <laughs> and it's in County Meath. And it's definitely not the Stone of Scone. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> 800 years of oppression. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to get at the today. <laughs> but, um, yeah, at the Hill of Tara, there's this passage tomb called the Mound of Hostages, which is where traditionally hostages were exchanged hostages slash foster children yeah there was a big thing of hostage taking in ireland which was um well it was basically a way of securing alliances the theory being i'm not going to attack your house if i know my kids are in there mm-hmm. but it was also a way of education you know you would take in your foster children and you would teach them or whatever your particular skill would be mm-hmm. and it wasn't uh, abnormal for 
you know, particularly aristocratic children to have a number of foster parents. Like Cúhalan, the great champion, he had 12 foster families? Nine? Nine, I think, yeah. He had a, he had a good number of them. Yeah. And it, it formed sort of bonds between people as well, which was quite useful if these guys were then going to be going off and fighting side by side. Yeah. Because they, they'd, they'd be like brothers. More than brothers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and at um, the Mound of the Hostages, it's a Neolithic passage tomb, like near Grange. And there's over 200 uh, dead people in it. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> or, well, human remains. Um, between 200 and 500, there's a bit of debate as to how many Guards, are there. They're not sort of laid out all together in a nice piece of the yeah. bit. <laughs> but li- like other passage tombs, um, twice a year, the sun rises and shines down the tunnel into the centre of it. And at the end of the hostages, it is at Imbolc that this happens. Yeah. And actually, not far from there is um, the seat of the Kailiak, who is the winter mm. hag. Kailiak in Irish is a witch, isn't it? Witch. Yeah. Um, so in primary school, we're thought that a Kailiak is just a witch. But um, when you look into it, the Kailiak is actually this... Um, she's the divine hag. Yeah, she's yeah the divine hag. She rules over winter and she controls the weather. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not to put too fine a point on it. And she is said to be sort of the counterpoint to uh, Breed or Bridget. Mm-hmm. In, in Scotland, though, she appears the same. There's also the Kailiak, who's sort of the winter hag compared to the summer maiden. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple of different stories, but one of them is that they are actually the same person. And that at the turning of the season, she drinks from a, a holy spring, a magic well, and transforms from one to the other. Mm-hmm. Or that it's a it's a sort of yeah. um, do- stepmother, daughter-in-law competitive relationship. <laughs> it depends on which story you go with. But in, in the Irish tradition, on Imbolc, if you have a really good Imbolc, if the weather is lovely, it means the winter is actually going to carry on for longer. Because it's the day that the Cailach, um comes out and decides to gather more firewood to keep her going until March 25th, which is Lana Kailach, the day of the Kailach, when she has to finally hand over the reins of the year to Bridget. But if you have a really rainy and miserable and cold <laughs> in bulk, it means that the Kailach has decided to stay inside and she's going to run out of firewood soon, so she'll have to end the winter early. Yeah, so take a look outside. What's the weather like? Mm-hmm. Do you need to start stocking up on marshmallows? <laughs> you always need to stock yeah. up on marshmallows. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, I decided to try to celebrate Imbok with Baked Alaska. <laughs> so set so fire good. to sugar. It was yeah. amazing. Yeah, so anything you do that involves, you know, light a fire, light a candle, set a dessert on fire. Mm-hmm. It's yes. a good way to celebrate. Uh, there's a couple other things that are somewhere between Bridget Goddess and Bridget Saint that you can do in that day. One of them is you leave a, a piece of cloth outside, mm-hmm. ideally a white piece of cloth, the finer the better. So if you've got a bit of spare silk lying around, you leave it outside and it gathers the dew. And when you take it in, it will be good for protection and healing. So like if someone's got a you know a sore throat, you wrap that around their throat and it'll help them. Or if a woman is going into labour, you you push it on her stomach and it's meant to help have a bit of healing power, stop the, the fairies nicking the baby. <laughs> <laughs> um, you can also make a bredog. Which is a, a um, little effigy. Yeah, it's a little kind of effigy, traditionally made out of like reeds or things you find around the house. In Kiloriglen in County Kerry, 
they have a St. Biddy's Day festival. So Biddy is like Irish slang for Bridget. Yeah, it's, it's like a nickname. The, the little boys and the little girls go around with this effigy and they ask for money and have a big party with the money. There's also the parade of the Biddies and they crown the king of the Biddies. <laughs> yeah, though, be careful though if you do decide to call someone a Biddy because it often means like an old Biddy, like an old little woman. Yeah, like, like a, a Mrs. Doyle character. Yeah, yeah. Like, like a nosy old lady. <laughs> yeah, so just be careful of calling someone a Biddy. Yeah. You, you might be trying to say you were like a goddess, but they might take it to mean something else. <laughs> right, so I uh, hope you have a lovely inbox. Lovely St. Bridget's Day, lovely Feast of Bridget. Hope you light some things on fire and not, but things you want to light on fire, not not, light, not your house. Light not, all the things yeah. on fire. Georgia, we talked about this. Sorry. No arson. Yes, yeah, sorry. Arson you. is a crime. <laughs> Make lots of Bridget's uh, crosses and, and that will protect you from the fire. Just yeah, keep the fire actually, real far away from yeah. the crosses. Yeah, yeah especially. Or don't. <laughs> um, and if you if you liked this, uh, leave us a review. We're on all the social media stuff. Uh, okay, on the social media, on, we are Tales from the Shadows. So that's on Twitter, we're Tales Shadows. On Facebook and Instagram, we're Tales from the Shadows. Because we have a theatre group called Tales from the Shadows. And I thought it'd be simpler if we had the same social media handle. And it's not, but I'm not going to change it because it's been too long. I'm just going to explain this every time at the end of the episode. Uh. I think we should like record a little soundbite that we just stick on to the end. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just a few explaining that whole thing. If you want to support us, you can support us on Patreon. And goodbye. <laughs>